Well, friends, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verses uh, 14 through 30, and um, as some of you know, we're, we're almost to the point where we are having our Stewardship Sunday, and that's next week. Stewardship Sunday is next week, so having a couple different sermons on um, stewardship right in a row. Way back early in ministry for me, when I was at a, another church, um, I, I kind of apologize for, for preaching a message on stewardship right before it, you know, like right now, like what I'm saying. And, um, you know, because oh, who wants, what preacher wants to preach about giving, right? Giving money. You know, you're my bread and butter, people. You know how that works. So um, then you sound, oh boy. And, and uh, this person took me aside, a very wise elder after the service. He says, you never apologize for preaching a sermon on money because we all need to hear it. And so I thought that was a good advice as, a, as a, just a young whippersnapper pastor and um, being told that. So um, just so you know, though, Jesus talks a whole lot more about money um, and the New Testament does than, than this preacher preaches on. So, um, you know, it's fine that I can do this today. All right, is all I'm saying. Um, so t it'll be two sermons, though, this week and next week regarding on actual Stewardship Sunday. So Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. The man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness 
where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Beloved in Christ, today we're going to be looking at this parable of the gold bags. We're going to look at it this week and next week. So this is a two-part message today on the same text. If you're here today, you best plan on coming next Sunday too, or you're going to so miss out, all right? Today during this message and when you're eating Sunday dinner and throughout this week, I hope you'll be thinking about what is the best way or best ways to view your financial resources. We're looking for principles today of the proper way to view our wealth or our resources. So think carefully about that. What are biblical principles for viewing money? And how might those biblical principles we learn guide us in the way we use our money? Is there a fresh way to view our money that we can discover today. Instead of seeing money as just the stuff that that burns holes in our pockets or sits in banks or gains interests or gets spent. What is money really supposed to be and what are we supposed to be doing with it? So a a fresh way to think about that or maybe a, a way that, just an old way that needs to be refreshed, right? To help us do that today, we're going to study this parable, the bags of gold. Now it's a parable, a parable as many know, is an easily understood earthly story from which Jesus gives us a heavenly meaning. And this parable is about the kingdom of heaven. This parable is about how a man goes on a journey, and before he leaves, he entrusts his wealth to his servants. We hear about three of them. First, about a servant who received five bags of gold. Now, to put this in perspective, The commentators agree that in today's dollars, this is probably well over a million dollars. And we also hear about a second servant who received two bags of gold, so about four to five hundred thousand dollars. And we hear lastly about a servant who received one bag of gold, that's two to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Now, after all that gold is given out, the man, the king, if you will, goes on a long journey. Now, what does that sound a lot like? It sounds like Jesus, our king, who had come down and died and rose from the dead for us, who had walked among his disciples, who had come to this earth, God with us. It sounds like Jesus, doesn't it, for what happened to Jesus? Well, we could very accurately say that Jesus then went on a journey. He ascended into heaven. He's still on that journey, but take it further. We can also say that Jesus distributed his resources to us before he left. He gives us spiritual gifts and gives us blessings, even gives us our financial resources. Whatever we have is from him. He has blessed us with everything we have. So the parable is very up to date. The parable makes perfect sense to us. There is a man, he goes on a journey, he gives away his wealth and trusts it to others, and then one day he will be returning, and those to whom that wealth has been instructed, they will have to give an account of what they have done with that wealth while he was gone. Any child can understand the basic story of this principle, of this parable, I should say. And and what happens next in the parable, easy to understand too. While he is away, his servants work or they play. We meet a couple of servants who put their newfound money to work. 
for the man on the journey. The first man thinks, I'm going to take this million dollars plus, build a business. And in no time, business booms and the man has made 100% profit for the master. So let's say well over $2 million. Same with the second man. I'm going to take my $500,000, become a plumber, build a plumbing business, and see how far I can take it. And by the time the man returns, his business is now worth a million bucks, double what he started with. Wow. You see, it's understood. It's very obvious. It becomes understood as we read the story that we're supposed to work with the money. We'll put the money to work, as it were, while the master, the very rich master, is away. But there's a third servant. There's a third servant who, for some reason, didn't get the memo. He didn't understand what, for the other servants, wasn't understood. It was a no-brainer. So what does the third servant do? He sneaks off to a deserted part of his master's land, and he digs a hole in the ground, and he buries the gold, $250,000 of gold. And so there's our setup. And the suspense starts to build. Two guys, we're pretty sure, go out and do what they're supposed to do. But a third guy just doesn't get it. And the suspense is building. What's going to happen when the rich master comes back? Verse 19. After a long time. Long time. It would have to be for a business to double in value like that. After a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. After a long time. Now, if you're... Wondering where we might fit in this story, where the year 2023 fits in the story, here's a little hint. It's right here at verse 19. After a long time, that's where we are. We're in the long time. Between the time Jesus ascended into heaven, king over the kingdom of heaven, and when he returns from heaven, when he returns to settle accounts, when he returns to take his servants, his faithful servants, home with him to heaven. We're in that long time period of history, and it is long, isn't it? It's been 2,000 years already. That's long. We're still waiting. So that's where we fit in the story, right at verse 19. We've been given blessings from Jesus Christ, and I know you've heard it said this way. We've been given time and talent and treasure, money, but also spiritual gifts, talents, passions, personality, abilities, so many blessings, faith, hope, love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, and time. We've been given those blessings from Jesus Christ the King. And it's sort of understood that we're supposed to be putting those things to work while Jesus is away. But Jesus hasn't returned yet to settle accounts. He hasn't returned yet. So we don't know what's going to happen when he does return in real life. But in the parable, we do get to see what happens to these three servants when he returns. So we get a glimpse. We get a glimpse of what awaits us. Now, granted, it's part of a parable, part of a story, but it's still a glimpse of the basic truths that will play out when the master of everything, King Jesus, returns. What truths, then, do we get from this parable? The parable says, the man with the five bags of gold came to the master and said, Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold over a million bucks. See, I've gained over a million more. 
The master responds with those incredible words for the servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share my happiness. There it is, job security and fulfillment and happiness. The master has more good work for the servant to do. And there it is, the first heavenly truth we notice. Truth number one. Jesus notices the service the person has done for him, compliments him, commends him, gives him more to do, and invites him into the joy of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the identical truth comes through when we see the second person, the the person who, with two gags of gold, 500,000 smackers, he doubles it to a million, and he gets those same observant, complimentary, and welcoming words from the master. Only the number is different. But then we get to a second heavenly truth. It's not a truth we like to even think about as it pertains to you and me, for it's a bit frightening. For if it is the one truth where we gulp, And say, uh-oh, this isn't good. The man who had begun with the sim- single bag, the single bag of gold, comes to the master and says with a certain amount of confidence in what he has done, Master, I knew that you're a hard man. You're kind of rough around the edges. You make demands on people. Your expectations are a little too high. So look, I was a I was afraid, I admit it, and and I think you're going to like this. I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. I played it safe. I kept it safe for you too. But, But the master responds, listen, you wicked, lazy servant. You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I could have received it back with interest, at least that. Take my $250,000 away from him and give it to the one who now has over $2 million. For whoever has, he will be given more and abundance. But whoever does not have, does not produce, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless piece of humanity, that worthless servant, outside, into the darkness. Throw him out out of the kingdom. Let him weep and gnash his teeth with the rest who are just like him. What a dark, dismal, devastating truth here, isn't it, beloved? Throw him out. Worthless. Lazy. Wicked. I gave him blessing upon blessing. He buried them all. That's parable truth number two. Jesus notices that no service has been done by this servant. He condemns him, calling him wicked and lazy. He strips him of what he has and sentences him to a life outside of the kingdom of heaven. And that's a quick retelling of the parable, highlighting the two simple truths, the that come part and parcel with the parable. So, so from that, then, let's find four biblical principles about taking care of our money from this story. What biblical principles inform how we practice taking care of our money, God's money? 
Here's biblical principle number one, verse 14. Again, Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom. So understood there is, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. What word did I emphasize? His. His wealth to them. First biblical principles right there. God owns it all. God owns it all. God owns it all. God owns it all. Three implications of that. Number one, God has the right to whatever he wants, whenever he wants it, because it is all his. He owns it. He alone has the right to it. Whatever he wants, whenever he wants, as servants of his, as those who've been entrusted with it, we only have responsibilities with that money, not rights to that money. God owns it all. God has the rights to whatever we have, whenever he wants it. We only have responsibility for it. You want to understand how this works? You want an exercise to do to, to see this most clearly? Keep your boots on when you get home, your Sunday shoes, whatever, and find a place probably right next to your concrete foundation of your house. Brush the snow away. Move the wood chips until you see a little dirt. And if your dirt is like my dirt around the house, you will run across a pebble or two in that dirt. Pick up the pebble. And the ground might be frozen, but do your best. Pebble in hand, ask yourself, how long ago did God make this pebble? Or the rock that it came from? How long has it been here? How long will it continue to be here? And now compare that to how long you have held the title to that particular parcel of land. Five years? 45 years? Throw the pebble back down and ask yourself, do I really own this piece of property or do I just possess it temporarily? And we all know the answer. God owns it. God owns everything, including that pebble. And he owns it eternally, backwards and forwards, into the furthest reaches of forevermore. God holds the title for that land, and it supersedes the title you keep in your file cabinet, or the bank keeps in their vault, or the title company keeps on their computers. God owns that land. He moved into that property long before you did. He said, let dry ground, with rocks and pebbles, appear. And he said that just a wee bit earlier than you said, hey, let's put a down payment on this house, honey. And so we see the practical implications of this. If I really believe that God owns it all, then what God asks, when God asks for some, some possession of his back, there should be no question as to God's right to take back what he wants. When he wants it, he has that right. And we have no right to wonder where he gets off taking that possession from us. 
A second implication of that first principle of God owning it all is this. Giving away money, saving money, spending money, all three of them, all three of those types of decisions are spiritual decisions. Buying a car is a spiritual decision. Paying taxes, spiritual decision. Paying off debt, accumulating debt, spiritual decision. Deciding what to pledge come budget time, which we're going to be asked to do next week. Spiritual decision. Buying food. Vacationing. Spiritual decisions. Anytime we use his resources, these are spiritual decisions, not to be taken lightly. They are decisions to be prayed about, seeking discernment from the Holy Spirit of Christ and from the Word of God. Third implication of God's owning it all is this. When it comes to money, either your checkbook or your financial records or your bank statements or your computer or somewhere, maybe on your phone, for the vast majority of us, there will be a place. There will be a place where we can find an accurate accounting of our stewardship, of our giving. And we have a responsibility, listen, to frequent that place where that accounting is kept. That's a responsibility we have. Now, sure, we can shirk that responsibility. I don't want to see my giving pattern in black and white. I'm afraid what I might see. We can shirk the responsibility, but it is wrong to shirk it. God owns it all, and there often is, for most of us, a black and white ledger kind of place where we can plainly see how much of God's money was used by us for God's purposes. And we need to take that seriously. We need to face those amounts we may not want to see. Face them squarely. And if what we see disappoints us, if what we see indicts us, well, then it's time to drop to our knees and confess our sins of indulgence and then ask God to move us forward to a better use of his resources that he has entrusted to us. For so many of us, we're, we're, we're so secretive about our personal finances. It's something we just don't want to talk about with other people. We're uncomfortable. It's none of their business. Where does the church get off prying into this? Asking for a pledge? Providing a giving statement? We're so secretive. It's none of their business. Well, it is. Especially when we're talking about accountability among brothers and sisters in Christ. We may not like it. That's another sermon. The point is, I think we often go even a step further than that, saying it's between me and God and none of their business. It's my secret information. We sometimes go a step further. We try to keep it even secret from ourselves by forgetting about it. The implication from the principle that God owns it all, the implication is that we have no right to hide the truth of our giving even from ourselves. We have a responsibility to be open with ourselves about the truth of our giving, to be transparent with ourselves about giving. And so we need to be reminded that there is a place for many of us where it's written down in black and white, and it's our responsibility to regularly look that over and make sure that what is revealed there 
is the stewardship pattern of a person who takes what God has entrusted to them very seriously. So principle one, God owns it all. Three implications. He has the right to all I have anytime. Every financial decision is also a spiritual one. And we need to deliberately see what our ledger of God's resources in our lives really looks like. All of these are important because God owns it all. Now we're out of time. So you've got to come back next week to hear the rest. You're only getting one today. Some of you are like, phew. Is he ever going to stop? Okay. But come back next week. Here are the other three. But in the meantime, be thinking about this topic. Ask yourself, already today, by this word from Jesus, this parable, has it helped me identify what might be a sin or shortcoming related to money that I've been carrying around with me? And if God's word about money today has convicted me, then it's time for me to confess that before God. If there's a sin, confess it. God will forgive it and show you the way to get in line with his owning it all. God is good and he's gracious and his son Jesus died to forgive even those kind of money sins. The ones we sometimes think are no one's business but our own. Let God help you see right through that lie. Let God, the master who has entrusted so much of his to each of us, let God, the king, bring you to your knees. Even right now, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are humbled before you. And if we're not, please humble us. We need to remember that it is all yours. That we didn't deserve any of it. And it's all yours. So what you give us is a gift. And Lord God, when it comes to our money, surely none of us gets it right all the time in every way. We carry some sins around with us regarding our money and how we choose to use it or keep it or give it away. We carry some sins around with us that we'd rather not let anyone else know about, that we'd rather not let ourselves know about, and we really don't want you to know about them. And yet, Lord God, remind us today that everything is yours, and you see everything too. You see what's going on in our heart with regard to money. So, Lord God, right now, humbled before you, kneeling before you, identify the sins, the lies we've told ourselves regarding money and help us to be honest with those things. Perhaps the first time we've been honest in a long time. And then forgive us 
as we lay those sins before you. Remind us that we are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then show us the way. Show us the way you would have us take care of what you have entrusted to us. Lord God, we plead for that. Change us right now. Transform us in these ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.